0: Hey everyone welcome to this week's episode of rich friends this week we have on Sarah Jenkins who talks all about what it is like to publicly get laid off yes it happened to her and she really picked herself up and honestly transitioned in the best way possible she went into creating her own content getting huge on TikTok, and create sports content and produce Um, so yeah I really wanted to launch this episode of the podcast as soon as possible just because with everything happening with COVID right now I know a lot of people are changing career paths and kind of how to navigate that and Sarah has some really really great feedback. Aside from Sarah's nine to five she is a TikTok content creator that speaks about how she earned herself some sweet brand partnerships and deals along the way. Please check out this episode if you want to know more about what it's like to transition in your career, how to manage that, and how to basically stay sane. So yes, please enjoy. So you were giving me like the down low on your layoff situation. And I feel like we should just pick up right from where we left off because we were getting into it and talking about it before the show. So I feel like if we could just get like a rundown to kind of like go for like what you were saying just before, I feel like that's a good place to start off.
1: Yeah, for sure. So in December 2019, I was laid off from my like first full-time adult job uh, at Yahoo Sports. So basically we had like earlier that year had a massive expansion. Our team had like doubled in size. I was converted from a contractor to a full-time employee, I was part of that expansion. So our team doubled in size. We went from like nine to like 18 or something. It was crazy. Then with our freelancers, it was like 25. So we were huge comparably. When I started, I was the first woman hired. There was like eight of us and we all sat at like the same desk. And we were like, I even shared a desk with someone because we didn't have enough room for like two desks. And then late by the end of the year, we didn't even get a full year. We got two quarters with our full size team, and then we got an email the day before at four p.m. too, like the four thirty p.m. email. I was on a night shift. I just literally left. I got an email that goes, everyone must be in the office at eight a.m. tomorrow morning. No excuses. I don't care if you're not working. So I look across at like my editor Chase, and he's like it's happening and I was like I know it's coming and so this is also like two weeks before Christmas just for context of like the worst time for it to happen but whatever and then we get the email I'm like I text my boss I go I'm not working tonight like I got that email no way so a bunch of us go out drinking because some people have been speaking at like a hoop talks like event thing down the street so we all go out drinking the night before because we know what's gonna come Talking about worst case scenarios, what's going to happen? Like, we had no idea. We had no idea how many people, whatever, show up the next day. And my boss, like the poor man, had no idea was coming. He didn't know how many of us it was going to be. It was like above him. It was above his pay grade. So we had to sit there. And sur- I laugh because, like in hindsight, it's so ridiculous. Like this is if you are an HR person, this is never handle a situation this way when it comes to laying people off. We all sat like in a circle, essentially, after he gave a speech about like, he has no idea what's coming. We were told it was gonna be a monsoon hitting our team. So we had to sit there, leave our phones out because we would get an email asking us to come to the conference room. Meaning if you are getting fired, you have to, you look at the email, everyone else is sitting, you stand up and you walk away and then you come back with like your paper bag or like your little envelope with your papers in it. So then everybody knows, like there's no, it takes away the whole like, secrecy or, like, being able... Because, like, I've seen layouts before. They just, like, usher you out the side door. Whereas, like, I fully... After they, like, took me into the room, I got my papers. They're like, by the way, you can keep your cell phone. And I was like, oh, okay. They, like, leave the room. And then I was able to go to my laptop, take everything off my laptop, take everything off my desktop. I was able to, like take everything out of my desk. Like, I was there for another two and a half hours after it happened. But it was just, like, the worst possible way to do it. And then after we had to, like, leave at, like, I'd say, like, 1 o'clock is when we left. I got my last free lunch. We used to get catered lunch. I made sure I got my last free lunch. And then we just, like, I literally, it was seen in a movie with, like, my box oh. <laughs> just walking outside. And I left it at my friend's apartment. And then we just went and, like, started drinking from, like, whatever, 2 p.m. until I only stayed till like, 9. So, So
0: it's funny you say that because I've been in a situation where there was a massive layoff happening at the startup that I used to work at. And the way they did it is they called everyone in for that 8 a.m. meeting. They just had them all kind of sit together. The CEO kind of gave like a speech and said, okay, everybody in this room is fired.
1: I would have rather they come in and say, okay, we're going to put you guys in two rooms. and that way, like, because that's other ways American of people—literally, Idol. literally American Idol—you <laughs> will not be moving on to the live shows. No, so like, but my friend who worked at um, the NHL—that's how they did it. They had, well, she had said they had three rooms where one room was you're safe for now, but like by the end of your contracts, is probably going to work. Then there was the people that were laid off and the people that got to keep their jobs. I would have preferred either bringing all eight people out at once or either putting us in rooms calling us into different rooms and saying this room is being let go because we were all being given the same information we all had to then come back anyways like it was it was ho- like horrifying like the having to stand like I will never forget it sitting at my desk I like see the email pop up cuz it's the only notification I'm getting at 8:45 in the morning on a Wednesday like I'm not getting anything else it pops up and I stand up and that my coworker he goes oh are you just going to the and that was the other thing people go to the washroom and people freak out he's like oh are you he's like you're just going to the washroom and I just like shook my head he's like no effing way. He's like, no. And I was like, yep, yeah, it's my final walk. <laughs> like, I just started making fun of it. Cause, like, in that moment, I was like, I don't know how to handle this. I thought I had mentally prepared myself for it. So I was like, just heard cracking jokes when everyone else is like crying and doesn't know. The other thing is, it's like you died. I now know if I was to tragically die, all of the nice things my coworkers would say about me, cause the way that they acted was like, like I was a ghost. It was so bizarre. So I get up. I like walk to the room and then, you know, everyone's like talking about like, oh my God, not Sarah, like back there. Whereas like I just go and sit down and they like give you the spiel and then I ignore it and I turn to the lady that's like important. I'm like, so what do I get to keep? Like my laptop, my phone. They're like, you get to keep your phone. I was like, okay. And I was like, do I have to sign this today? Because like, I want my lawyer to look over it. I don't have a lawyer. I was just trying to like sound <laughs> like I knew what I was talking about. And they're like, no, no, no. Yeah, you can like negotiate because this is like your exit package, right? So then I take my package and I walk back out. And I hadn't cried at this point. I think I was more angry. And I walk out and everyone's just like looking at me, waiting for me to do something and like say something and go well, I get to keep my phone. Like I was so, the thing I was most stressed about was my phone. I was like, how do I convert my contacts? I don't have another cell phone. I got to go to Rogers today. If I don't, like that was my main priority. And then, yeah, I like after that, it was one of my friends from like downstairs who worked in the other part of the office came up and like they were crying. That's when like all started to hit you. Yeah. It was like insane. They could have done it a million better ways. Like every person I've spoken to that either they work in like management, HR said that the way that our layoffs were handled is probably one of the worst ways they've ever heard of it. Cause it was literally like watching people get executed. <laughs> it was insane. Like, what did the email say? Like, we have been prefaced with if you get an email from our like head manager that says, come to conference, that means you're getting laid off. Like, so we already knew that. So you're just waiting for the email to pop. I didn't even read what the email says. I just saw his little icon
0: on the email. I was like, oh, okay, I know what this is. So for everyone who doesn't know, what was your kind of like day to day, you know, operations? What was your job title just so that they have like full context. Yeah,
1: so I was a video producer at Yahoo Sports for almost 2 years. Uh so day to day when I it really drastically changed. Honestly, when I was on the small, when we were a smaller team, it was just, if you were a producer, you were producing, editing, shooting, sometimes on air for it. Like every layer of it, I produced podcasts, I produced video content, social content. And then my last six months of my job there, I was following the Toronto Maple Leafs, not like we didn't, I mean, we laid off eight people. We didn't have the money to fly me around the world, but we were, I was at every single home game producing scrum video and social content um, on game days and then at practice and stuff like that. So I got to do a wide range of stuff so like I'm super grateful for my time there and everything and I really enjoyed the like when we were a really small team because I got to do so many things like right out of school like two weeks later I'm getting sent to Vegas to go cover the Stanley Cup playoffs like who gets to do that like it was really cool um but it just drastically changed like we had to we always said pivot like I had to pivot a lot at that job like go from okay you're gonna produce this podcast okay JK we're gonna take that podcast off you now you're gonna because we were just trying to grow and like grow properly but we grew a little, grew a little bit too rapidly
0: And that's what you were saying is like part of the reason why they had to let so many people go and just like do these massive layoffs was because they grew the team like way too fast. That was actually the exact same reason why uh, those people that I was saying before at the startup I used to work at, they all got laid off. It's because we grew our team um, probably 10 to 15 people within the course of like two months. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we just weren't getting that revenue back. So I think that was like one of our main issues as well. Yeah, it was
1: the same thing. And at first we were told We had two years of like a growth period of getting to like try things out because you're never going to be able to like sell a multi-million dollar brand deal like right away. Like it it was very much though like you could feel the pressure. The second we had all the people in the door, it was like, okay, you got to start like performing like yesterday when we were already like punching way at like above our weight like with the small team we had like people didn't realize how small our team was because like you had to be producing so much stuff and like constantly pumping out co- like it was insane how much we were working like just comparably now that i've been working in other places like it's not what my day-to-day was when it came to like i was at some days i was producing 12 15 videos a day like that's and that's with me editing at least
0: half of them myself when do you think like you were saying that like part of the reason, like before you were getting into the actual layoff itself, like you kind of caught wind of it because like there was, you know, more expectations coming from higher up. Like you even were saying that they had a system of tracking the producers and how much they were cranking out in terms of content. Was that a bad work environment for you or did you like it? Like how did you feel about that overall? At this point, I was lucky because I wasn't in the
1: office a lot because I was covering the Leafs. So at least two to three days a week, I was either at practice, at the rink, at Scotiabank Arena. Like I was out of it. And then once we like got built out, like we used to have like weekly one-on-ones with like my manager and we just like never saw him anymore. Cause he always had to be in meetings and this and that. And like, we always knew like more meetings equated to like more expectation because like he's being pulled in the sales meetings and this and that. And like, you could just feel it. And then there's like all these people that want to help out reach the goals, but that's great. But when you only have three people that physically know how to edit on premiere, that was a big issue. So it was just like, it was, I wanna say it was a bad work environment because I loved my coworkers and I actually like genuinely enjoyed going to work every day. But I certainly like felt the pressure. And then I think the hardest part for me to swallow after the layoffs was I literally did everything I could have done. Like I physically, unless I never took a day off or grew another arm or like whatever, could not have produced more content than I did. So then for me to feel the pressure go through all that, and then it comes out to like nothing. It was just like Okay. See so ya. Yeah. Like it, that's, I think it was the hardest pill to swallow. Like knowing that you could literally do every single thing and it doesn't matter. Like that was the hardest part. I think when it came from like the culture of just like, go, go, go. We need to do better. We need to do this. We need to do this. And it's like, okay, I gave you my all. And then I got nothing. Well, I got I got a check at the end of <laughs> it.
0: Like I got nothing, you know? Well, I think that that Honestly, though, it's that's a double edged sword because it's like you can actually leave that now, being like, I actually know that I did everything I possibly could for, sure. for that company. So like, I I, could, I gave it my all rather than being like, oh, I regret not working a little bit harder or seeing or there's no what if like you know there's a
1: little bitterness, but like there's no there's no what if and that's the, the crazy yeah. thing is like. Talking about, like, the double-edged sword, I mean, this happened in December. I find... So I then had to go to freelance. Um, and I was actually, like, really looking forward to doing freelance for, like... My goal was, like, six months of freelance to really figure out companies I like to work for, who I like to work with, what I want to do next. Because I did so many things at Yahoo that I didn't know. Do I want to do more social? Do I want to do more? Like, what do I want to do? So I was really looking forward to, like, a solid six months of freelance. And then, obviously, in March, coronavirus happened. So it was, like, that's what... I got angry all over again because I'm like, are you kidding me? Like it, fe- like it feels like a layoff all over again because like freelancers, obviously freelance budgets the first thing to get cut when like, oh, sports are gone. Like we need to like save our funds. We don't even have work for our full time employees right now. So how did you figure out who your like clients were going to be? So I tweeted out about like I did the very like media I, and trust me, I cringe at it. But I did the very media professional thing that you do when you announce that you've been laid off. How was that response? It's insane. I got, I think it was like almost five thousand likes on the tweet. It was by that point I had grown a following, like following the Toronto Maple Leafs, so I had like Leafs fans like that followed me, and like for content purposes, right? And I, I think we had, were at that point had finally started to make a name for ourselves. So, like people more so knew who I was. I had like just been verified on Twitter like a couple weeks before. Like it all just kind of was the perfect storm. Oh, and it didn't say Yahoo Sports Canada laid me off. I said specifically Verizon Media because it was. It wasn't like them. It was the Company that chose to lay me off. So then I said the uh, layoffs at Verizon Media, and then it kind of just started to like blow up. People had like kind of figured out that something was happening. So, like, I think everyone was waiting for to see who it was. Most people gave me the courtesy of like 24 hours, but that day, by 24 hours later, I had an an email from every major network, sports network in the city asking to meet with me. I had like text messages from former bosses. I had friends that were like, hey, like, I know someone that you should meet with, blah, blah, blah. And then me being the person that like, When something happens, I, like, fuel, like, the anger into, like, just, like, work to be, like, F you mentality. So the next day, I sat in a Starbucks for nine hours answering emails, making a website. I had a website 24 hours later. I had a website. In the tweet, I've been, like, I guess this is where I say, like, email me. My DMs are open, whatever it was. I was getting DMs. I was, like... The next day, yeah, eight or nine hours in a Starbucks, just like emailing people back, setting up meetings. So then the next week, so this is all before Christmas. I only had a week to get this all done before everyone was going on Christmas vacation. And I said, I want to meet with everyone pre Christmas vacation because I don't want to be like forgotten about. So then I met with everybody, and that's where I ended up getting work, uh, regular freelance work at CBC and Sportsnet, like signed on immediately. And then I had like just like really good meetings with a bunch of other people, um, some like that I would never think of really working for but would still like I just met with every single person that reached out to me because I was like why not like I might as well And so then that way, starting January 4th, literally the first day back from Christmas vacation, I started work right back the way anybody else would. Yeah, so I was really laid off for two weeks, technically, because I was over Christmas vacation, which worked out nicely, because I didn't have to work for Christmas. And
0: were you able to get like a decent severance to be able to stay in your place in Toronto without being stressed? A hundred percent. So I had, the severance was confusing as heck. I'd have two of my dad's
1: lawyer friends read it, because I was like, I don't, because it was so confusing, because like the way they do it is in Canada, severance works differently than people realize. Like, you have the payout that you need to be paid based on how long you worked at the company for. And that's mandated by the government. But then corporate corporations like Verizon want to look good. So then they'll also usually match that. But they don't straight up say that. It's like very confusing. Like, Andy, I got my vacation payout as well because I would never used a vacation day. So it was like technically three payments. Two of them were combined together. But in the like writing and in like like it it makes it sound like you're only getting the one amount because they only state the one amount. But then you have to like read and it says we're matching that. Like it's so it's so confusing. That's why I had so many people read it because I was like, Am I getting screwed? Like, I want like more money than what they're offering me. And then it realized it actually was like double. So I was like, oh, okay, we're good. Like, and I was only there for my full-time contract it hadn't even been a full year of me being full-time it had been like 11 months. So technically, they really didn't have to pay me out that much, but like thankfully they give good severance packages. I had my benefits until March 1st still, which was really nice. So like I was able to go buy my contact lenses <laughs> that I needed. But yeah, it was enough that I knew I knew I would honestly would have been fine until uh if I had to like just need to pay rent and like food and stuff, I would have been fine until the end of March at least. And that would be if I didn't work a single day and I just need one to like screw off and like whatever, I would have been fine. But actually just helped me honestly with my student loan more than anything. Because I was starting work, I just took that severance and then I put it on my student loan. And then the nice thing was I negotiated that I still got my bonus. So I made it really clear that I still got my bonus because I've been there for almost a year. And your bonus is up to 10% of your salary. So I got my severance package initially and then after I still got my like pretty nice bonus, which was like 10%. I think I got like almost seven grand in February. <laughs> That's
0: really good. And then as you kind of transitioned into doing a little bit more, obviously, freelance work, how did you form those contracts and make sure that like you were covered there? Obviously, it's nice that you're working for people like, you know, c- c- CBC and stuff there. It's like, hey, you know, they're a reputable company. They're not necessarily going to screw you. But is there any way that you kind of covered your ass with uh, freelance?
1: Yeah. So with CBC, uh, the interesting thing about CBC, I knew this because I used to work there. So I worked at CBC all through university. And then um, they had offered me a job the same time Yahoo did. But then I was like, "Mm, they're going to pay me more and I get a producer credit. So I'm going to go there. And so then I just had always left that door open. I always had a really good relationship with them. So I knew that one, they wouldn't screw me. I knew that for sure. Two, I knew that anywhere I went, I was not coming in anything lower than a producer. Because the big issue in media I find is a digital producer, they don't see it as the same as a television producer when I was working on the digital team, I was getting paid a different rate than I was producing television. Like it was two separate rates because digital is a smaller budget. Digital doesn't make as much money, whereas like television makes more money. So like it's seen as different. I think, I feel like those
0: budgets are changing though. I hope so. I I think so because here's the thing. I don't think as many people are looking to do those, you know, TV ads because people are recording TV and then fast forwarding through it. And I think that also it's like with digital, you can do integrated brand plugs. So when you're doing that, like, integrated content, um, I feel like it it's just, it has a better effect, especially for millennials. I don't buy stuff based on TV. Mm-hmm, that's true.
1: And the, but the only reason it's different at the CBC is because they only Olympic contract. And like, uh, the Olympics okay. is something that you watch. I mean, it didn't happen this year, but you watch live. Any live sport, hockey night in Canada, you watch that live. Like, you don't watch it after. And that's the only, and so a lot of it is now integrated. But yeah, it was crazy. Like, I was really adamant enough of, okay, if you're going to bring me in, I need to be a producer, which I was lucky that they said that to me first. They're like, you, we know you've been producing it. My bigger fear was I was a PA when I was there. I worked my way up to an AP by the very end of it, but I was like, are they still going to see me as only that? Because my friends that were there were still only APs after two years of working there. So I was like, are they still going to see me that? But it actually ended up being perfect that I left, became a producer, and then they when I came back, I had that same respect level, higher, like upper management also changed a bit. Like one of my old executive producers was now the head of content and I knew he like respected me. So it was, it was kind of a perfect storm with the CBC. They do have like, it's a blessing and a curse. They have standards of what they can pay you because it's a government agency. So it's like literally on their website. Like you can see every single pay grade that's attached to Every single job title. So, your job title is what like determines your pay grade and how much you get paid hourly versus a salary. And then, like, that changes each year based on um, inflation and then cost of living costs going up. The thing that I'm really lucky that I negotiated was my bait because I wasn't getting paid a salary, it was hourly. So, I did my hourly rate plus 12% in lieu of benefits. So, I was making like, so say my hourly rate was like $37 an hour. I'm making actually over $40 because it's in lieu of benefits as well, which was really nice. And that's how, like, it's the blessing of working for a place that has to get literally every single thing
0: legally correct
1: because it's a government agency.
0: That's great. I I think that it's a lot for people to know, especially in media, what to ask for because everybody says, like, do the unpaid internship, be a PA forever, work your way up, work your way up, work your way up. But it's like, it's difficult because I know a lot of people, even like my age now, that, you know, I'm I've gone to a place where it's, I'm lucky that I can like, you know, produce content and create content. But I know a lot of friends of mine who went, I went to school with, um, who are still just like in that PA job and they're kind of stuck. Um, and it's a really easy place to get stuck in because your peers see you, Oh, okay. She's a PA, but it's hard to be like, okay, to go from a PA to then be like okay no I'm an actual producer now like it doesn't act, nothing really changes that drastically it's all mindset and it's all perception and I think that you know having people see you as okay I am a producer like what would you say to someone who's looking to make that jump but doesn't really know how to position themselves
1: I think depending on where you are, you might need to leave. And like, I was never a proponent of someone being like, you have to leave a company. Like there's certain companies, like I used to work at Labatt Breweries. Like I used to work as a campus manager for Budweiser and that was a Like a corporation that I knew if I stay there, I knew exactly every year what my promotion would have been just like based on what everyone else does. It's not that way in media, like media, like you said, you get really stuck and you like bounce around or you're freelance. And then like to go from freelance to full-time, it's like, it's really difficult because sometimes there's like part-time people within the company they want to hire first. So like I, like it was exact same with CBC though. And Yahoo, like when I got offered the job at Yahoo sports, Yahoo wasn't like, I mean, not saying it's like anything massive now in Canada, but like I, the running joke was I had more Instagram followers than the page I was going to go like create content for. And so I, when I went there, I met with like my mentor at CBC and I was like, what do you think my like game as at CBC. And she was like, realistically, I think like you're going to be an AP for a while. And I knew all my friends who had worked there. Like I had friends that were like in their late twenties, early thirties that were still APs. Like they got the PA to AP jump. That was great. I got that by my second Olympics, but it's still not like, first of all, the pay jump from PA to AP isn't huge, but then also there's responsibility. You're not getting to making the decision decisions because it's still a very traditional television like format. I knew that if I wanted to, like, I had to leave and then come back and worked out in my favor because I left, got a produce,
0: like, I was a producer. I had a very similar thing happen to me when I moved uh, from Canada to the U.S. Uh, When I first got my job in the U.S., I was actually hired on as a, like, graphic designer and digital editor, Um, and that was, like, a major pay jump. So I went from intern at time to then getting a job offer to be an executive assistant to, like, the head of digital, but I was unable to stay there. Um, because of a visa problem. They weren't able to get my H-1B. So I was like, all right, back to the drawing board. And that was actually the best thing that could have happened because I actually, because I didn't get that visa, I was able to get another job. There was a $15,000 pay difference from the job I would have had at time where you're living in New York City, it's so expensive, to them being able to get a job in LA, which is, you know, you're actually creating content. You're not somebody's assistant. And there was literally a $15,000 pay gap in between between. And I was like, the cost of limit living was the same, if not a little bit less. So for me, it was always just like, wow, this must be a blessing in disguise because time was one of those places where I could see it, you know, taking forever. And like, I'm gonna be honest, like the $40,000 that they were gonna pay me for a starting salary, I couldn't live off. That's the thing. That, and then the other issue is people forget, like, okay,
1: yeah, you have like a $40,000 salary, that's pre tax. Like, it's insane to me when people are telling me how much they get paid, and I go, that's pre tax. I remember when I got the job at yahoo it was i was like at the time making like 22 dollars an hour as, or 23 maybe as like a PAAP like researcher person at cbc and at that time i'm like okay hey, this is good i'm like still in university like this is a good rate and I'm getting them regular hours. Like I just worked in Olympics, and then I was so stressed. I was like, "Dad, they're calling me today to tell me if I got the job." He's like, "He's like, well, what should, like what are you gonna ask for?" I was like, "I think I'm gonna ask for like 25." But is that too much? Like I was so scared because yeah. I didn't know. I was like, I, "They," but then my dad's like, "They don't know what you made before. Like it's okay. Like you can, if you want 25, maybe ask for more and like whatever." And I remember like they call me. They say, "We'd love to have you on the team." Blah blah blah. I'm so excited. And he goes, "By the way, like." um well they'll send you a contract but the rate is gonna be like $33 an hour does that work for you and I just remember it was like higher than what I think I was gonna ask for which now in hindsight I'm like damn it Sarah like you could have negotiated more you like could've I could have I could have like, asked I could have gotten worried. 35 my, my 40 would it have it but I was like I couldn't negotiate more so I was so pissed about, like now like a, two years later I'm like damn it but in that moment I just remember I'm sitting in the RCC atrium and I'm just on the phone I'm like uh yeah, yeah, that's fine.
0: <laughs> like, it's, like, it's more money than I can even fathom. Like, I'm Googling how much, like, in a year I'll make. And I was like, oh my God. I find media is such an interesting industry, too, because it's like there are people that are making, like, millions of dollars a year doing minimal work and just green lighting things or, you know, produce. like, you know what I mean? It's not. And then there's people that are grinding every single day, 12, 15 hour days and editing and working like crazy to make, you know, the minimum wage. So it's such an interesting industry. It's unlike anything else. It's not like, oh, you become a doctor and this is what your pay is. Like the media industry is so, it's basically like the Wild West. Now you're kind of past that, literally. I mean, the the greatest transition that I I wanted to really talk to you about too, which I'm super excited, is you started a TikTok career. I want to hear all about it. How did that happen? Tell me about the the TikTok move. So <laughs> oh, funny to talk about. Oh my god. Okay.
1: <laughs> Thank God you didn't call me a TikToker. That's like the thing that when
0: people I like, uh don't. Do, do you get that? Like, yeah, yeah, that? yeah, yeah.
1: TikToker. It's like very cute, but I'm like, I if they just call me like a content producer, content creator. Like, just that's what my job was. So anyways, basically what happened was I actually pitched TikTok to my boss in October when I was still at Yahoo. Oh, really? And I made a test one when I was at a Leafs practice. I was like, this is what, like, because I listened to David Dobrik's podcast and all they would talk about was TikTok. And I was like, okay, like they're t- it's really big with like kids in the States and stuff. I'm sure it's coming to Canada. Like I don't, like my little cousin, that's what they pr- like consume their content on. And it was just a, uh, and this is in the midst of like when we're trying to meet all these goals and stuff. So it's like, we just didn't really have the time to launch something else. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to learn how to use it myself because I'll test it out. So I made a couple like stupid ones in the office and like whatever. And then after the layoffs happened um, in January, and so layoffs happened then in January, I'm like, I'm going to try and see like more about TikTok because at this point I'm like well if I'm freelance like I need to be able to have as many tools in my belt as I can and if I'm truly a digital content producer I need to know all the platforms so I started just playing around with it and like trying to like use it more and then I did a day in my life vlog that I did like what it was like being a producer at Sportsnet so going to Sportsnet getting my coffee in the morning just like super simple it was like a one minute vlog because I've always loved YouTube vlogging so like I'm obsessed with YouTubers like culture has always been a part of it like I went to VidCon twice like I've always been really. really Yeah, at Ryerson I started. Okay, this is the thing. This sucks that we weren't friends at the time. I started a like a YouTube like creator, content creator like group at Ryerson, and we fully sent eight students to VidCon two years in a row. Where was I? I have no idea. So, anyways, like I was always obsessed with YouTube. So I was like, okay, well, like, let's just vlog. Like I'll do this, and it like kind of popped off. Got like two hundred fifty thousand views, and I was like, oh, okay, like I can do another couple of these. Did one at CBC, and then this is in February that I was like doing a couple of vlogs and. I probably gained, like, I had almost 2,000 followers because my friends and I at Sportsnet were joking about it. They're like, oh, Sarah's going to take over the TikTok because she has 2,000 followers now. And then once coronavirus happened, I was like, I have nothing to do. Like, I I knew work was coming, but I was, like, so antsy because I was like, I can't do anything creative. I was You're putting
0: making 12 videos a day. Yeah,
1: I was – exactly. I went from, like – producing 12 videos a day or like up late producing like live rugby shows like stuff where it's just constantly consuming your brain to nothing and I am not someone that can sit and watch Netflix like days at a time I have like one day a week where I'll watch like a few episodes in a row but other than that I need to be doing something I need an outlet so I just started daily vlogging and it just like kind of went off and I just used it as a way to like understand the transitions are huge on the app it's an example I wanted to learn how to better do transitions and, like, tell a story on the app. And for some reason, the key to my whole vlogging career is <laughs> – career, I hate myself <laughs> – um, is that I had the voiceover app as part of – like it must have been when I downloaded the app, I had, like, one of the new beta versions that was, like, testing out the voiceover app or the voiceover ability within the app. Oh, future. Yeah, so I had that first. So I wasn't having to, like – go into another app, I could do it all in app for the first month and a half, which was like, until I hit like 10,000, after I had 10,000 followers, my voiceover app er, feature disappears. And I was like, what the hell? So then I had to start like, getting more creative. So I would film on my phone throughout the day, then edit in Adobe Rush, which is like Premiere Pro's um, mobile version. And then I could do a voiceover in that. So then I'm filming still on my phone, editing in a like app made for your phone and it all stayed on my phone. I didn't have to like export from a computer or anything. So it didn't take that much longer. And then once the voiceover thing came back, I was blessed because it makes my life so much easier. But yeah, it kind of like went insane. I started doing like drink videos, like all this stuff, just trying to understand the app better. Because then I got to a point where I my goal became 10,000 followers. And I was like, if I can have 10,000 followers, this is when I thought COVID was happening for like three weeks. I was like, if I can come out of this with like 10,000 followers, if they'll be like, oh, what'd you do during quarantine? Then like, I can say, actually, like I grew a following on TikTok. And then it just kept happening and happening. I just kept vlogging my day of getting up and showering and sitting in my living room like it just and it which is insane but i think people found comfort in watching other people do stuff like the videos that were the most popular were me going to the grocery store and going to shoppers drug martin which was insane Like i would address it be like i don't know why you watch this but i think people liked watching someone go out in public and like see the world when we couldn't when we were still like super like quarantine weren't able to leave uh and then it just kind of kept going and now i just hit 30,000 followers or i'm at 31 now so i hit 30,000 followers the other day and it's, been the most bizarre thing ever (laughs) because it was kind of an accident like it's not like I've been actively I don't promote it on my social media no like it's been totally organic growth through TikTok
0: and do you think that you're gonna continue this like for a while and continue doing the the vlogs or do you want to like ever try new like what where do you see the page like growing
1: so I I do some different stuff like occasionally like I'll try out some trends that are things are happening but the reason I like the vlogs is One, because it feels more like producing a story to me, I think. Like I'm actively thinking like, so example, like if you and I are going for a drink tonight after we do this podcast, I'll be like, okay, like I can sell this as like going out for a drink in Toronto during phase two or like whatever. So I think of it more like storytelling as a a vlog rather than just like dancing. Like I will never dance. I refuse. I'm not, a. have never danced. I can't dance like straight up. I'm not a good dancer. (laughs) I just want to do something different, but it works. Like I now have like my consistent... Um, following that like comments in every video I get like, I'm at like 30,000 views a video right now, which is like, for only having 30,000 followers, that just means that I have a super engaged like audience, which is really cool. And so it's really cool. Like seeing people like going, oh, I bought that coffee maker because like you have it or whatever. And like, first of all, Nespresso, you should be paying me because straight up, up, straight up Nespresso. I swear <laughs> to God, 19 people, at least maybe 30, I don't know, have told me they bought an espresso for true machine because I use it every day. I mean, it's authentic because it's like, it's my genuine like recommendations because I am not getting paid yet right now, but I have had like, I'm now getting sent free stuff, which honestly is just the dream for me. Free makeup. Like, hello, Givenchy Beauty reached out to me. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. Are you <laughs> kidding? I'm, <not> kidding. <laughs> I'm being added. Which like, I sound so lame because like I have friends who are like full blown influencers and like, it's yeah. like nothing for them. Right. But for me, I'm like, honestly, like the idea of just getting like a free bag of makeup once a month from Givenchy, whose lip gloss is $60. Like, hell yeah. Like that's just for me, like talking about my life. Like, that's amazing. I think to answer your question, because this is a long way, I am going to continue vlogging because if one I have to kind of talk, like, my employers just to make sure, like, they're cool with it. Like, but we are content, like, I work in content productions. So, like, for them to say I couldn't produce it would be, like, kind of counterproductive and, like, contradicting. But I'm going to continue. I won't be pumping out four videos a day like I was at the beginning. Like, in quarantine, it was four to six a day was my goal, which was.
0: in It was a lot.
1: It was a lot. And so uh, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm at, like, three is usually my average. I like to do one in the morning, one midday, one night. Sometimes it's four, but usually around three. And then now that I'm starting full-time work again, I'm going to start – it'll be at least two a day still because I can do like a day vlog and a night one. But I'm going to pre-film a lot of stuff I think on the weekends to try and like get extra content because the beauty of these videos is they don't actually take that long to make, which is – Thank that's God. the
0: best thing. What does your non-competes look like? Have you ever had issues with non-competes in the past? Cause I know a girlfriend of mine works at Sephora and she's not allowed to, uh, she has a YouTube channel where she talks about beauty and she's not allowed to, you know, promote any of the, or talk about any of the Sephora brands because as an employee, like, even if you say good things, they, they just like, don't want you to be the one reviewing those products. Cause it, it could potentially look bad on the company. Yeah,
1: no, I, um, I looked over my contracts just to make sure that there's nothing. No, there's not. Like, even with like my freelance work, there's nothing that says that I can't. Like even I can't. There's a. I'm freelancing like on a short term contract. It's not like I'm. Um, or it's called a casual contract. So I'm not an employee of the CBC. Even though I'm full time hours, I'm not an employee. So in my contract, like I'm allowed to do stuff on the side. If I wanted to, I could be working full-time hours at CBC and then working like full-time at like somewhere else. Like I fully could, I mean, you physically could not do
0: that, but if I could, I like, I would be able to, because there's nothing that's like saying I'm not allowed to. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. I think we're, I think you've been very informative and very helpful. Do you have any closing remarks that you kind of want to end off on or are you, do you think you covered it all? Uh, what do you think? I think we've
1: covered my entire last year of
0: my life. <laughs> This show
1: you can is take a drink every time you i said the word layoff if you
0: want. <laughs> okay new new game shot every time she said layoff or actually check out sarah's tiktok and make the beverage that she last featured <laughs> yes. and drink it while watching the or listening to this podcast we love that all right let's go have a drink ourselves i agree thank you so much i appreciate you thanks for having me I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Sarah. She is so high energy. She's a very very fast talker, but so I hope you guys kept up with everything. Um please go ahead and follow her on TikTok. Her TikToks are amazing. She gets a lot in in under 1 minute, so very talented on Sarah's end. If you like the show and you want to follow along, um please check out Sick Productions Sickbird Productions on Instagram. It's S I C K B I R D Productions on Instagram. We're always hiring new creative talent. So please feel free to DM us and reach out. But You'll get an update of all of our latest projects right on there. Um, Yeah. So please follow us and we will be sure to check out your work as well. As you guys know, we will be doing these podcasts weekly. So tune in to the next episode.